So, another emoji update. Uh, I mean, we had we had nothing happening in Emoji Land for so long. It was like a hundred days, and last week we reported there were some changes. And then again this week, it's been even more crazy. It changed 52 times in the last seven days. And I must apologize, before we started recording, I sat out and counted each tweet where it changed to get to that number. So, sorry for making you sit through that, uh, Mom and Kai. But yeah, there we go. It's 52 times and the current least used emoji is now input symbol for Latin capital letters, but the non-capital... Wait, no, sorry. The input symbol for Latin letters, not input symbol for Latin capital letters as it had been for a while. So, exciting change. But we had it go between a few, like the input symbol for Latin capital letters, the non-potable water symbol, and the aerial tramway, I think, were the ones that it was uh, it was going between. And it ends up changing 52 times. And I get that probably no one in the world is excited as excited about this as me, but I still think it's a fun thing to keep on track of. Yeah, no, I think... Interesting to see some new ones there. Uh, speaking of emojis, uh, Kai and I, we were sitting and trying to formulate a very, a very uh, creative message to you yesterday. It's like not creative as like we're gonna insult you. Uh, <laughs> we just wanted <laughs> I, to I make like didn't a... get that out of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, we wanted to send a message saying that we think cricket makes more sense than rugby. And then we looked for a rug emoji, but there are no rug emojis. There's not even like a red carpet emoji. I'm surprised. Interesting. Mm. Well, we should propose that for the next round of, um, what is it, Unicode emoji things. Yeah, I think this is something people really need, especially when they're trying to say rugby. Or you so. could send the football. I yeah. know, but it's too obvious. But I wanted to it's, be very dismissive yeah. of your uh, strange Australian sport. So I wanted to sh- to send uh, cricket is better like than a rug. Yeah. Yes, I noticed you send the bug emoji instead of the <laughs> cricket bat and ball, which is perfectly placed there for... Your use case? Uh, but anyway. It's all the same. And worst case, I, I, I also do prefer actual crickets over, over rugby. Um, we tried to watch a little bit of rugby the other day, um, mostly because we saw it in our sports app here and thought, all right, let's, let's see, let's see yeah, wh- like what Maybe it we is. should give this a go. Maybe we have been too, too mean to Zach about the sports that he's watching. So then we started watching rugby. Uh, in in hindsight, turned out to be union because most of the world uh, prefers union. Apparently, uh, there are like two rugby's, and I also started looking into the history of of rugby with like the northern part and the south of the UK playing rugby, and then some something around that uh, rugby is supposed to be played by professionals, and then professional athletes were banned, and then they somehow split up, and then there were two unions. One of them was both of them were called rugby league unions, and then it somehow changed names. This is very exciting historical I know, things it was, for it our tech was, podcast. I was, I was thrilled about reading and and hearing about that. Um, anyway, so then I think the north of the UK is playing league, and the south is playing union. And everywhere in the world where people play rugby, uh, union is more popular, except for Australia. In Australia, league is the more popular type of rugby anyway we we watched that uh that rugby union thing and thought it was super strange it was oh, hilarious it was hilarious it like it made no sense whatsoever and everything felt very f- fumbly i mean people people probably like the sport for for certain reasons that i don't know <laughs> uh, but it I'm, I'm not gonna judge you guys uh you you like whatever you want um when it comes to sports but i think it was 
just weird. Like they have this thing when they sort of stand in a circle and then like ag- with heads against each other. And then there's another person of one of the teams that throws a ball under them. And obviously this guy's going to throw it under the team that he's on. And then, but get everyone's the kind of linked like, into each other and they try to push. And yeah, it was really confusing. And I didn't understand why they decide, like they sort of throw this ball under all the players so that they should determine who gets the ball. But obviously they will throw it towards their own players and they always end up getting the ball. I, I really don't know what happened, but it was hilarious. But also the commentary was amazing. It was this guy and he was super calm. Usually, like we watch a lot of American or like in general north american sports and commentators are usually quite excited about what you're seeing this guy was a bit more on the yeah, side of he, it's it sounded like an uh a um nature documentary that he's he's talking it was like oh what a nice left hook he was also british so it really made it sound more like a documentary <sighs> the the wing was well executed it was so, you're, watch, it was, you're watching the wrong sport though i mean rugby league is where it's at not rugby union rugby union is slow and boring and i, I don't disagree that yeah the commentator was probably half asleep when he was talking about <laughs> we the watched, game. after uh, we watched this we went to watch uh what was it league yeah yeah mm, the good and we watched one. this yeah. and we're like they they basically okay they get into a fight on the field <laughs> And then the ref stopped them and was like, you guys can't fight on the field. And I'm like, really? This is so weird because the whole reason, like, one well, main part of the sport is that they can, they are legal, like, they are allowed to fight on the field. And then they just go in and, like, hit each other I mean, in the face. Like, if they, I get they, a- they can bounce into each other as much as they want during the play. But then when the whistle was blown, they kept on fighting. And I seen, thought that seemed a bit unnecessary because they get enough fighting throughout the game anyway. <laughs> No, you're not allowed to fight on the field anymore in rugby league. That's changed. No, but that's the thing, right? They they started they started to kind of try to hit each other's face, and I was like, "What a waste! Just just wait for three seconds until you hit a whistle again, and then you just run at full speed into the person you don't like, because that's literally what the game is about. So just save your energy and run into the person." <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> seem like they have a lot of regulation on how you can run into people. They just line up. I don't know, fourteen. 20 whatever many people uh and say all right and now smash into each other and then they run into each other yeah, and then isn't that enough violence like you really also need to hit like just go up and punch someone in the face it's like i say like you just waste your energy ah where's the entertainment in that the chances of injuring the other party is probably higher by playing the game <laughs> than by trying to punch each other's face i don't know but uh, what a weird spot that's the thing though with league it, it felt like it like i didn't understand rugby union and i appreciated that there seems to be rules that don't make sense at first league on the other hand i feel like i had a full grasp of the entire game all the rules everything that's associated with the sport within the first five and a half seconds of watching it because it's literally just two groups of men running into each other at full speed six times and then they kick it right yeah Yeah, basically what uh out of curiosity what uh league were you watching like was it who were the teams I feel uh, it was New Zealand mm-hmm. and England. Okay, cool. Mm. Oh, wait, in the rugby or rugby league? Sorry, league. League, yeah. League, okay, yeah, cool. And the union was Canada and Hong Kong. Okay, because that's the World Cup at the moment, yeah. right, for union? Yeah, we realized that then. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, like it's good to see that. There are different sports, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, as I said, Diversity I'm not judging anyone. 
I'm not judging anyone, but yeah, yeah. Figa was weird. I Turns think out it Chris seems like there's a sport for everyone. Even if you don't care about rules or, or strategic excitement, there's league for you, so yeah. that's good. Yeah, if you don't have brain cells, there's always rugby league. It's fine. Yeah. And, I mean, even if you have some, just play it for about 15 minutes and they're gone too. <laughs> See, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Play one game and then the only thing you will still comprehend is rugby league. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or if you start watching it, you lose brain cells fast enough that you're fitted to be a rugby league player. It's great. Yeah, I guess I just felt like uh, cricket seems a lot more exciting now. Yeah, it is. I think that's what we should take out of this. I, I would I would advocate. If that's what you took out of it, I'm fine with that. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I always thought when we were living in Australia, I was like, I guess rugby is something I could get behind. I, I, I still think I probably can't. I, I'm more excited and appreciative of American football and Canadian football now after seeing some of the, I guess, the origins. I, I, I think Canadian football's origins come from rugby. Uh, again, this is my really not well-researched history lesson. Um, but I would assume that probably rugby is the origin. How old is rugby? Rugby, I'm not sure. Rugby league is probably like 120 or 130 right. years so then i would yeah because i think uh canadian football is somewhat i mean they've played a gray cup for over 100 years now 100 500 six years which is kind of the equivalent to the um super bowl here in canada um so i would assume that it's definitely coming from from rugby but they they looked at the sport and thought hey how about we add some rules into the mix and now we have Canadian football, and it's way, way more exciting because there are rules. And you might, you even have time to talk about I, what, what the next play might be, and you have strategic uh, uh, leeway. No, but see, that, that's like less interesting because it's all about like it's so strategic, and you have time, and you have to like actually make decisions. Like rugby league, there's always something happening, there's always someone running at someone. But it's or, always the same thing. <laughs> but it's great, it's exciting. Like there's always something to cheer about or, or to, laugh at or something do you find it exciting when a when when in the city too if you see someone running into a car or something this is a very weird Whoa. example but this doesn't I mean, happen all the time in the city <laughs> it, it makes it sound like every direction you look in there will always be someone running into a car no but it's like it, it, i i don't i don't understand there's not a lot of depth in it it's like uh, okay i know what will happen for the next five times they will run into each other then one of them will lay on the ground and then kind of kicks the ball back to their teammates, except for the sixth time, then the person will kick it. Yeah, but see, there's strategy involved there. Like, it's all about your field position, and you want to get as good field position as you can, and there's many different ways to go about that, and there's, there's you know, exciting decisions you can make. Like, in the last game that, uh, in the last game that the Dragons played um, this year, I still very vividly remember uh, there. There, so it's the fifth tackle option. So on that that play where you either you have to get rid of the ball somehow by kicking or or whatever, uh, the their their playmaker made the wrong decision, and I will never forget. Well, at least for the, probably the next couple of months, how terrible that was, and how that potentially cost them making it through to the next week of the finals. But see, there's decisions that people don't agree with. Did he forget to kick it? That is exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, he, he, they're like 50 meters out from their try line with pretty much no hope of scoring and they decided to run the ball and get tackled and then give the other team very good field position who then went on to kick a field goal and win Wait, the game. he literally forgot to kick? Well, forget, maybe not literally forgetting, but he did not kick. Because you don't have to kick on that on that fifth tackle. You can just get tackled. You can also just turn it over where you go down. Right, exactly. And he did that. 
by doing that, he, he tried to run it and didn't get very far, got tackled and basically gave the other team great field position. Whereas as if he'd kicked, uh, the other team would have been in far worse field position and potentially never would have uh, made it far up enough the field to kick a field goal. So, you know, there's, there's strategy there. And decisions to be made that are I'm wrong. I'm so excited sometimes. to show you Canadian football when you're here. Uh, it's going to be so slow. It's going to be so good. Yeah, you will be fine. You'll like it. I guess I've survived years of watching cricket. But. <laughs> and you know what? You can even pass forward. No, that's madness. Like, no. You can, no. Pa- you can pass into the direction you want to no. get. Look at that. It's <sighs> forward progress. Isn't that good? What are we turning into? The accidental sport podcast? The thing where you're talking about everyone like huddles together and they throw the ball in and they're always mm. going to throw it closer to their... I, I don't know about rugby union, but in rugby league, it used to be the case that you had to throw the ball into the middle and then there were there's a um, a player on each team called the hooker and they're always in the middle. It's called a scrum that they're all like bunched in. Mm-hmm. Called it, Hooker has to basically hook for the ball and try and uh, get it for their team. So it used to be a, a 50-50 chance of getting the ball back. Um, but that's not the case anymore. Because yeah, that didn't look that way because they were very biased. Yeah, it was. it's too dangerous to do that. Lots of people got injured and kicked in the face and stuff. So um, <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> so now the idea is that you throw it out the back, like near your team, and you always end up with the ball. I think I've seen like, I watch a bit of footy and like one or two occasions where uh, the other team manages to get it out, but it's very, very rare. Wait, which which footy is this now? Lake. I don't get it. What's a, what's a Australian football then? Isn't that footy? Only in the West. Oh, Coast. like uh, like AFL, like Aussie yeah, rules. Isn't that footy? Uh, sure, you can also call that footy. I have no problem with that. <laughs> this is like chips and chips. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I I ordered some chips to eat while watching footy. Okay, if you said you ordered chips, it's to- like no one in this country knows what oh, wait, I want. Seriously, it's it's. If I say I, I want some chips to watch yeah. footy, yeah. people like, won't yeah. know what I want to eat or what I want to watch. <laughs> oh, wow. See, if you said that here, it would be like, which type of chips? Yeah, yeah, that's a thing. But uh, Amazing. There, there are already different words. We have fries and we have chips. Or crisps and chips if you want to be British. But why call it all chips? <laughs> you don't think this is confusing? Sure, it's slightly confusing. But, <laughs> like, generally speaking, if you're in... New South Wales and you talk about footy, you're talking about rugby league. And if you're in Victoria or Western Australia or or South Australia, you're talking about AFL, Aussie rules. Yeah. What if you have a if you as a Sydney sider would talk to Perthian? And we're talking about footy. You you say you really like footy. Now you're in a misery because now you have to figure out where the person is from to understand them. <laughs> Generally, the discussion, it could be inferred which type of footy is being spoken about by whatever precedes that sentence. <laughs> what a dumb sport. I really hate footy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, uh, let's just, let's just move on from this. But yeah, chips and chips are, is confusing and it's been breaking me. Like if I see a menu item where it actually says chips, for some reason I expect it to be fries. But it isn't because, like, this is something I complain about all the time in Australia that you call chips and chips the same, chips and fries the same thing. But here I'm confused myself. <sighs> so what's chips in Canada? It's like crisps, like the thing you buy in a bag. Oh yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's basically the same as 
in North, anywhere North America. I mean, in in the US and in Canada, fries are fries. Can I have some fries, please? <laughs> Side of fries, thank you. That's how you order them in Alabama. Uh, <laughs> you just say fries or French fries. And you say chips for the ones that come in the back and are usually cold. It's easy. And then you have... Uh, yeah, because I think even when I heard people say hot chips when I was in Australia, I thought they literally will have warm up the bag of chips. You know, that's... <laughs> that's on you, Molly. That kind of sounds interesting. <laughs> like, may- maybe you should try that. I mean... I don't think it would taste very nice, but... Those we call nachos. Oh, yeah. Like warm Doritos with... Yeah, but that's made out of sauce. corn. But you have those... Yeah, you know... At like some um, at some theaters and stuff like that, you can buy those like warm chips that are more like puffy. I don't know what you're talking about. Wedges? Uh, yeah, but they're more crunchy. It's not like actual potato. Uh, Zach, have you ever tried uh, DuckDuckGo? I am using DuckDuckGo on my Mac and iPhone at the moment. Oh, really? Mm. How's that going? Mm. There's a reason I haven't switched on my work computer. Let's just say that. (laughs) Yeah, I I tried the same. I tried to go with DuckDuckGo for... I think I I forced myself to stick with it for a week. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of have two issues. First of all, it's a trust issue. I feel like every time I don't see what I want directly, I feel like, all right, I just got to research with a... You can do the exclamation mark G to to then kick it back to Google, right? So I always do... Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, so if you just do an uh, exclamation mark G and then your search term, it just search on Google instead. But I, um, I, I just... Every time I don't see exactly what I want directly, I feel like I must be... That goes failing and I go back to Google. Um... And sometimes it is Dr. Goes failing, sometimes it's mine. Um, but I, I feel like even after, I think it's been a week now, um, I still don't trust it. And it's often that I still don't get this, as good results as I do get on Google. I agree. Yeah, it's it's terrible for anything that's uh, at all timely. Like if you want to search for, for news about anything, it's mm-hmm. got nothing that's uh, current. Um, which kind of makes I I learned I guess the last couple of weeks how much I am searching for something that is time based or, or uh, relevant to to the time that I'm searching for it instead of just something that lives out on the web. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fine for for other things, but yeah, when you need some kind of contextual result, it's not great at that. And it's also so I guess there's something to be said for for collecting data and using <laughs> that to provide better results. Yeah. Who, who would have thought collecting a lot of data uh, helps you making better suggestions? But it's also... I, I, my biggest problems were when I wasn't exactly right. Like, if... It, for example, if I looked for... um for I mean, it sounds weird, but out of context. But I looked for a picture of 100 people in a room. This is weird out of context. <laughs> As I said, it's very specific, but sure. Um... But I, I just wanted to visualize what 100 people in a room look like. So I, I tried to find a picture of 100 people in a room. Um, and DuckDuckGo took that very literally and looked for 
pictures of 100 people in a room. While Google was a bit more flexible and offered, how about 103 people? I'm like, okay, that's close enough. I can live with that. And that was kind of what I thought I often get in the difference between DuckDuckGo and Google is this kind of, it's not exactly what you mean, but it might be close enough to be useful. And and that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm often uh, lacking when I'm searching on DuckDuckGo. Something that's close enough to, because often I have that, I don't know if it's like a programming thing or if it's if it's something like the the 100 people in a room thing sometimes it just helps to have something that is close enough even if it just helps you getting onto a different way of searching for it to then get to your result like if you look for a programming error or or i don't know a compiler warning thing you're getting and you don't find exactly what you were looking for but someone had a, a related um uh, compiler error or warning and then you realize what you thought causes that is not actually the cause of your problem you know what i mean when you're like just getting yeah you yeah. just you you it's, just realize you you were kind of thinking the wrong thing caused this um yeah it's it's the problem not you but <laughs> so it's it's um i feel like google is a lot more helpful in that way when when i'm when i actually am wrong about what i'm trying to look for and i I didn't realize how often Google kind of helps me getting onto the right track. Because often, if I have a problem, I kind of just type in things that I think might be the reason into Google to to kind of... It's kind of... I'm either incredibly incredibly lucky and I get somewhere incredibly fast with the search result, mm-hmm. or I know Google will help me finding the right track, but I feel like DuckDuckGo doesn't quite get to that level of, of search helpfulness yet. Yep. But I guess another yeah. way to help it is to use it more. Yeah, but what do they do? They don't collect your data, right? They're not doing personalized stuff. No, no, it's not personalized at all. So I feel, I don't know. I mean, gotta maybe I should try a browser that I have. I mean, Google would even know your IP address and then still probably personalize some stuff. Can you turn off? But in, pers- general, in general, Google just has better results, even for a fresh user. I would I would like to try that though, just to get an idea of how much of Google's results are now personalized versus how much is actually Google being better at their I don't know graph resolution or whatever they're doing to to get to your to your results would be would be interesting to try. Mm. If you only had a new a completely new iMac or something where you could test it out. But I also then need like a new network uh, internet connection to have a different ip address well, i think i think compared to all the imacs that you that you ordered uh, network the new router will be quite cheap it's not a router though we need like a new internet service oh, because we yeah, have a static ip address yes yeah, true so i don't know if if having the same ip address already influences such results i mean it definitely does because at least it will do like country specific stuff yeah. Um, I think DuckDuckGo offers that. There's like a um, checkbox that you can say, I want I want country-specific results for Canada. So what if you just use a... Um, Public Wi-Fi from a computer that is not logged yeah. in, doesn't have any Google-related cookies. Too much effort. I just stick <laughs> with Google for now. And the thing is, you can't get away from Google stuff. And I know that one of, one of the things I was thinking in the switch to, to DuckDuckGo was, oh, well... Google, despite me not using their apps on my phone and trying to minimize my use of their services as much as possible, with the exception of our show notes for this show, um, you know, they, they still get all my like location data, which can be inferred from IP. If I'm searching, if I'm pulling out Google search and searching for 20 different things a day in different locations at different times, you know, you can sort of build a profile around that. You can work out what that person is interested in, what they're, uh, what kind of stuff they're researching, where they are. 
uh, all that kind of stuff, like down to the suburb, you know, it's generally got at the bottom of your of your Google search results, the suburb mm-hmm. that you're, you're searching in. It's like, well, they're building that profile anyway. So, that was one of my thoughts behind moving away from it. But then, I guess every website that I'm going to from DuckDuckGo probably has some form of Google Analytics uh, embedded on in the site or every second app that I'm opening on my phone is probably, you know, using Google Analytics or Firebase or something in that app. So, Google still gets all that data and can still build that profile. It's like, it's just impossible to escape. So, I think this is one of those cases where using Google search because it is so superior is probably not a massive invasion of privacy over what's already happening without you uh, intending for it to. Yeah, I think th- that's a good good point though with the in-app analytics. I think that's such a, a problematic thing where now everyone integrates Firebase because it's like a free, relatively decent analytics framework. Or, I mean, Google has so many things that you um, that kind of entice you to throw the SDKs into your apps. If you want to have Chromecast support, here you go, some closed source SDK to add to your app. You want Firebase? Here you go. There's billion lines of, of closed source core, uh, code to add to your to your project because you want to track two events. You have like hundreds of megabytes mm-hmm. of uh, and thousands or millions of lines of, of code that you don't know what it does, that definitely mm-hmm. does swizzle a whole bunch of stuff and make your app sometimes behave weirdly just so mm-hmm. you can track your two events. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I would, I would, I'm, I'm really surprised that especially Apple doesn't do more about that in either preventing that to have those kind of monster frameworks that do who knows what, because realistically, App Store review has no idea either, right? Everything that kind of happens so far behind the scenes, some SS, uh, like some HTTPS connection to Google servers. I mean, that's definitely nothing that, that Apple looks at at a review. Um, I'm I'm surprised that there isn't more. I mean, if you look at analytics and iTunes Connect at the moment, it's not very useful. I mean, I understand the opt-in. It could be so much better though. Like, I'm not against analytics at all, but I think that there is an opportunity there for Apple to do something that is anonymized that gives you sort of the full flexibility. Like Google Analytics and and using Firebase for analytics is actually a great tool, and I think in a lot of cases. Even if you're not using it for analytics, there's so many other features of Firebase that it doesn't make sense for a lot of apps these days to not use Firebase. Like, why wouldn't you? It's such a great tool, but it's also a shame how they monetize. And I think there's a huge opportunity for Apple to come in and provide something that's free, but obviously funded by App Store revenues and things like that uh, to sort of allow developers to collect anonymized, useful information, uh, analytics events and things like that. Um that that doesn't that don't invade users' privacy. And another advantage of that is I'm sure it would be whatever analytics framework potentially that they could come out with, I'm sure it'd be way more lightweight than something like Firebase. Yeah. Um, and you know, not add tons of bloat to your app. And I mean also means they don't have have to swizzle every single uh view controller lifecycle method to to get their stuff working. There can be a lot more uh what should I say, compatible to the rest of, of um what what the apps might do compared to what Firebase is doing. And I think, I mean, that's the thing, right? I don't really care about... I appreciate the the feedback to be anonymous. I don't need to know what exact user does what, but to have a little bit of more of an event-based um, uh, analytics in in iTunes Connect would be... would probably 
go far enough for a good chunk of developers no longer implement or adding Firebase to their project. I mean, there, uh, there are also people that use other parts of Firebase, but just from an analytics perspective, I don't think people need like a crazy, I mean, mix panel or something. They're doing a whole bunch of stuff for, for analytics. But I think just basic event type things would already go far enough to eliminate probably 80% of, of use cases where people add Firebase for analytics. Yeah, definitely. And I... I wouldn't. I would be surprised if we're not seeing something that goes in that direction within the next uh, dubbed up or two, just because it's such a relatively low hanging fruit. Apple clearly sees value of analytics in general because there is an analytics tab in your iTunes Connect. It's just at the moment not particularly useful. Yeah, definitely. I I somehow always default into wish lists. I'll mm. definitely add that to my <laughs> to my wish list for the next another draft. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, it's very easy to say, oh, analytics are bad and tracking user stuff is bad. But really, if it's done properly and it's done in an anonymized way and, you know, you're not compromising any user data, there's there really shouldn't be a problem with it. And it's a shame that yeah. there are no sort of valid uh, solutions at the moment, um, you know, without without compromising your user's data to take to track analytics as you would like. And I mean, most people already pay Apple thirty percent of all their revenue anyway. At the moment, right. I yep. mean, when that started, it made a lot more sense, right? Because uh, credit card transaction processing was more expensive. The serving all this the binaries would have been more expensive then. But all of those costs came down a lot, but the cut is still the same unless you do a uh, subscription for over a year, of course. Um, so adding more developer benefits um, to, to while keeping the 30% around, I think I, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, but, but I think I think it's also it's not just from a revenue perspective. I think also just to provide more safety to Apple's own users so people go away from like other third-party libraries. I think that would be... Um, a benefit for them and i think something like like you uh, like you mentioned zach like in general analytics might be seen as this bad thing but i think especially like all analytics isn't bad especially something like that actually crashes that actually tracks your crashes that makes so much sense because that's actually gonna make developers focus on something and actually make them improve your user experience rather than using it for something like a B testing or like other type of analytics just to like gather your location. I think it's better to like really focus on the crashes so that it's something that the users will see direct impact from. I mean, I don't know. I think you need both. I would, I would see crash logging and analytics as two separate things and the crash logs in the simple thing is though that businesses want analytics. If a business is investing in an app, they want to know how many people are using a particular feature. And that is not a bad thing. But even if you're not a business, right? Even if you're like making a small app and you're just considering where should I spend my focus? And I mean, you can, you, you either can pick what you think makes sense for yourself. But if you have a little bit of information, I mean, I'm not a fan in general of, you know, you see that a lot in large companies. They're like, all right, every every single thing you can have on the screen, everything has a tracking event. Tapping te tapping the header has an analytics event. How many people tap the header? Do we really want to scroll to the top? Of course you want that. That is not a question you will ever ask. Why do we track that? But I feel just having like a minimum of, of like how many people actually use... Um, uh, peak so, and pop type thing. So I would like, like to know that to to see 
how much focus should I spend on that? How many people actually use, um, I don't know, autocomplete on, on, on certain input fields that I'm having in my app? So what do you mean is that tracking if people do tap the navigation bar to go to the top, that doesn't make sense to track? Is that what you mean? It, <laughs> That's analytics you wouldn't need. Like it just, you don't need an analytics event for every single tab yeah. anywhere within the canvas of your app. Yeah. But I just think something like crash report is something that's an easy start. But that already exists. Only for opt-in users though, right? I mean, in general, a- Apple does crash reporting for your apps. Yeah, but I thought that's only for people who do opt-in and have agreed to sharing it with your... With the yeah, developers. but that's... I mean, I I don't know what the policy is there, but no matter what, that's a thing that exists. My focus is definitely more on the event-typed analytics. I think okay. that is... And you think that's something that Apple would want to provide? Because that's what I feel like. Uh, uh, something like Crash Report makes sense for them to provide because it will improve the app. But something like user events might be something that Apple is a bit more reserved on because in general they try to preserve the user's privacy. But in the same time, people will go with things like uh, things like. Firebase instead, just because that gives them more information. But I think from that point of view, it makes sense for Apple to provide their own because at least they know what people are tracking. They're a bit more, have more control over it. But I'm not sure if it's something Apple might be reserved in. But I mean, there, realistically, there are two options, right? One option is if Apple says we want to, I mean, there are so many things where Apple is now on the record constantly to say privacy is super important for us. It's one of our highest priorities in general. Uh, Safari has all these kind of um, automatic tracking prevention type uh, features built in now. And in general, the entire company is very openly talking about the problems with tracking every single user activity. But on their main platform, on their biggest product they're selling at the moment, it's a wild west. Everyone adds whatever analytics and, and tracking they want, and there seems to be no real policing or or of of any of that so i feel like there are two realistically there are two options or i guess three one is something like the 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 tracking prevention that they're doing on safari where it just automatically generates random stuff all the time to to serve to firebase and similar um uh uh analytics sdks but that seems a bit flaky and probably breaks a lot of stuff uh, second option is to just no longer allow that on the App Store, which is an option, but is definitely something that I I don't really expect to happen. Yeah, I think people will be quite unhappy with that, especially like you said, like bigger businesses that really want yeah. this for the user. But I mean, even small, you know, if if I don't know, you make a podcast app, you probably want to know how do people like do people tend to rather go through uh, a playlist or through the podcast um, at I don't know, like the podcast name. How do people actually go to playing your podcast? Do they go through a playlist or yeah. going through the podcast name and then select an episode? Yeah. And I think that's some analytics that you would use to know which feature to improve or which feature to work more on. And I think uh, it makes sense to provide something like that. And yeah, so if Apple would provide something like that, it's more controlled and a bit yeah. better. But it makes sense, it. right? You you want to go by common sense first. So if you make that decision, you your starting point should be what makes sense for me and what do I think makes sense for users. But then it's quite nice to know, all right, maybe I'm wrong. You know, it can happen that you, you think something makes a lot of sense. Seems obvious to you, but you're just wrong. And most of you users go through the other way that you expected fewer people to, to, to go by. 
And then I think that's valuable to know for you as a developer so you can shift your focus or at least make that part of your app also uh, get more attention. And therefore, I think the, the second or the third option for Apple to have some type of analytics themselves, first of all, that would make it probably way easier to for Apple to add that to their review guidelines because that probably means Apple can see what type of events you're tracking and what type of data types. So Apple probably wouldn't want you to be able to track the user's location at all times, for example. But if you just basically uh, render out a a list of all the events the, the app is tracking and what data type they're, they're getting or something to that extent would make it both reviewable by uh, um, the App Store review as well as giving um, enough to to at least encourage people to use Apple's analytics tracking instead of um, third parties that don't only... Because that's Apple only would have an interest in you not using alternative tracking, right? So they don't need to make money of it. They don't need that to feed into their machine learning algorithms. Apple just wants you to not having to add Google's tracking tools to every single app. So I, I feel like that is kind of low-hanging fruit uh, for from a privacy perspective that Apple hasn't tackled yet or hasn't really spoken a lot about. So for me, it kind of seems like an obvious next step. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it would be would be great. And it would most likely be a bit more straightforward for people to implement. So I think this could actually help in the developers that are a bit more reserved in uh, actually adding like a bigger third-party analytics into their library. And they, they would also know that the user data would be handled in in a specific way and uh, like according to apple's guidelines and i think that would make some in the developers a bit more confident as well so yeah i think i think it would be great yeah and i know noted for myself i don't want to add google sdks i don't want to add google sdks into my apps um but i know the hit i'm getting from that is that i do have less information of how people use the things i write and i'm willing to do that but it would still be uh, helpful to have a bit more information than I have at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And it's not as uh, you started to touch on it earlier. It's not as though the choice is between Apple's non-existent analytics framework and no analytics framework. The choice is between Apple's non-existent analytics framework and every other creepy third-party analytics tracking framework that's out there. Yeah. Um. I think this it's sort of related. This is um an interesting uh thing to talk about as well. I don't know if you saw a couple of weeks ago, um, actually only a week ago, um, the, the article in The Verge, Tim Cook defends multi-billion dollar Google search deal despite Apple's privacy focus. So basically, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was it was reported that the, the deal that Apple have with Google to um, set Google as a default search on iOS is worth something uh, between about three to nine billion dollars uh, annually. And so if your plan is to uh, become the default search uh, in Safari for your next uh, startup idea, you know the money ballpark you have to uh, shell out to be default. Mm, yeah, it's, uh, it's not not, uh, not small change. Um, <laughs> but I saw a, a few people Wait, on so Twitter. that's what Google is paying Apple? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw a few people on Twitter who... For some reason, and, and the thing is, I, I almost fired off a few snarky tweets about this, but thought better of it um, because I'm trying to be more reserved these days on Twitter. Uh, but it's probably a perfect topic for the show anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, people people defend... Oh, no, sorry, people say, oh, Apple should be doing a better job. And 
Apple should be protecting our privacy and all of this. And I think that that's fine. Like Apple sort of pitched themselves as that company that does have their users' best interest in mind and all of that. But I think, and I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this. I think ultimately at the end of the day, Apple, Apple are like a profit making company. They're they're for profit. They have shareholders to answer to. And if Google are going to give them a a clean, you know, three to nine billion dollars or somewhere in between, um, I, I think it's, it's, acceptable that they they take the money i mean i'm definitely not defending apple here because i as much as everyone else would like to say oh uh they should you know be making a political statement here and uh and you know set DuckDuckGo as the default or whatever but also i think it's really important to remember that apple are not your friend um <laughs> they are a company trying to sell you expensive products and trying to make money from you they're not you know, you're, they're not your best friend. Like I can sit here and, and, you know, say to, to both of you, oh, in your next side project, don't put Google analytics in there, have a bit of respect for your users privacy. And, you know, that realistically like side project money, uh, isn't, isn't huge one way or another. It's probably not going to be the difference between, uh, you know, you having to work next year or, or not or whatever. But, um, I think ultimately, like, well, I, I'm willing to add, uh, Firebase to my app for three to nine billion dollars. If anyone is, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Kai's got a business opportunity. Sell for you. out. <laughs> um, but you know, you know what I mean? Like Apple, Apple aren't your friend. And I, I don't think that, um, I don't think people should take it personally that this happened, but, uh, I also think that this is a, a good reminder that, uh, Ultimately, it's profit first and then whatever corporate social responsibility they want to have. It's not the other way around. But it's 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 also realistically, I think when I read that, that kind of prompted me uh, to to use DuckDuckGo as a default for a while. Um, Can you change the default in Safari? Yeah. Okay. Um, the problem with that is, I mean, you ha- you only have one default, right? You've got to pick something as the default for, for your browser. And as we talked about earlier... DuckDuckGo is just not as good as Google is. And you don't... I mean, default means most people will stick with that. And even if you take the money out of the equation and if you take any of the other concerns out of the equation and we're only looking at what is the best search engine at this moment in time, the answer is Google. And that is unfortunate. would be nice if DuckDuckGo would be uh, uh, on par or better than Google and also caring about your privacy more. But we're not at that in that world. De facto best search engine as of now is is Google search yeah, engine. Yeah, but like Zach said, like it's it's only gonna uh, if you start using DuckDuckGo, DuckDuckGo is gonna improve for multiple reasons. Like either if they do some type of uh, like personalization, maybe they don't do that. But they also like if you use DuckDuckGo, that means they will at least uh, get more of a revenue, so they will actually be able to spend more time in improving their algorithms. And uh, yeah, the result is only gonna get better. Uh, so it's it's a bit like you sort of have to bite the bullet and sort of move over if you want to have some other alternative than Google. Yeah, but it's the thing, right? Apple's market at the moment isn't building a search engine themselves. Then that argument of Let's let's use ours. It's not as good yet, but we'll get there. I mean, that's what Apple did with Maps, right? Maps was definitely not as good as Google Maps in the beginning, and it got 
better, probably slower than most people wanted, but it did get better over time. Yeah, and but now it still has a pretty bad reputation, I would say. I think for many people, especially people who are not that in, into the Apple ecosystem uh, that we are, I think many people do decide to use Google Maps instead. It, but it, that's exactly my point, right? So there, Apple did it for a service they built themselves in the hope it's get for it to get better. But doing that for DuckDuckGo, a company that is not a Apple product, to get the hit on reputation, because now everyone... I mean, realistically, right? Most people that will buy a MacBook in an Apple store, go home, do search stuff, it doesn't work as well as it used to. They will complain about that Apple, that on, on their MacBook, they can't get stuff done as easily. Yeah, and that's the, pr that's the thing, too. People won't think, oh, my, like, it's because I'm using DuckDuckGo now instead. I think some people just search for something in their search bar at top. They don't go to google.com or DuckDuckGo.com. They just start searching. And then they would just think, oh, for some reason, I get worse search results on my Mac. And I think some people won't even realize they're on DuckDuckGo instead of Google. So, I mean, that will also be a problem just to educate people. Whereas I think something like Apple Maps is something that was quite clear. People know they open another type of map app and they know what's going to be different to some extent while something like a different search engine will be hard to like educate people on and also but make people know about like people won't really understand why it was moved because some people just want good search results but i i don't think that that matters that much even if people don't understand that they're now using apple maps or google maps apple was willing to take the hit i mean realistically uh there were some people at Apple who took more of a hit, like uh, uh, Scott Forstall, unfortunately, <laughs> took a big hit. Wait, was the... that, that wasn't related to Maps, though, was it? I mean, some some people at Apple, I mean, the the rumor, at least I call it, was that uh, Scott Forstall refused to publicly apologize for the Apple Maps fiasco. Oh, really? And that was part of the reason why he was let go. Did anyone else apologize for it after he was like... Uh, Tim Cook did. Okay. Um, so, uh, but in general, Apple, at least at that point, uh, to, as a company, they were willing to take the hit um, to to push their own thing and not to give in to, to Google's demand for, for maintaining the uh, Google Maps license. Um, but it just doesn't make as much sense to me to do that for a company like DuckDuckGo because otherwise all you have is you find uh, on iMore and all the other websites they will just say first thing when you open your new Mac and how to change your search engine back to Google it's I don't think Apple wants to be in in a position where everyone's just talking you know Microsoft had that for a long time where it's like the, f the first thing you want to do on your new Windows machine is uh, download Firefox or Chrome or whatever period of time we're, we're talking about. But it was always this thing, right? And then there were those memes about uh, the only thing you use Internet Explorer for is downloading Firefox. It's just, I don't think Apple wants to be in, in a place where... I mean, that's also a thing, right? A lot of people, instead of changing their default search engine in Safari, will just download Chrome and use that instead. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people do already for other reasons. I think it's only going to make that yeah. more so, of a tough sell. And to I think over. Apple did what, to me, makes sense at this point in time of making DuckDuckGo a... I mean, DuckDuckGo is one of the, I think, four search engines that are built into Safari. And I think that's a good thing. The other one is Yahoo and Bing. Uh, the other ones are Yahoo and Bing. And I think that's already a, a, as much as I think makes sense for the customers to do. 
Um, and that is even ignoring the the billions of dollars they're getting as a result of that. I feel like even even without the money, I would argue for for making Google the default just because it's the best. And if there's a three to nine billion dollar kicker as a result of making what I believe to, to be the right decision, well, that just makes it silly not to go with Google. And if people, there are some people who care enough to not go with Google, then it's just one, literally one click onto your search icon and then on whatever other search engine you want instead. So I feel like the compromise is pretty good. And and I, I would agree with that approach. Despite also, I understand why people say it's a bit uh, hypocrisy to, to say privacy is so important, but then taking money for it. But realistically, I don't think the alternative would be to have a different search engine. The alternative would be to pass on $9 billion, which uh, I don't think is a, a smarter or more sensible approach to this. Yeah, I just, I just do find it weird when people sort of, uh, I guess, associate their identity with Apple and say, oh, Apple should be standing up for us and all of that. It's like, well, at the end of the day, it is the right choice to go with Google and there is money involved. Uh, which helps make it even more of the right choice. Yeah, I think this discussion I, would be a lot more interesting if, let's say, Bing would be a better search engine than Google. Yeah, I think I think we just have to think about it realistically. Like Google is the best search engine available, and like I said, many people would just change this to be their default instead. And I think that's if that's going to hurt Apple and going to make people less happy. Um, I don't know if it will be beneficial at this point to actually move over when there aren't any better alternatives that they can suggest to users. Yeah, and I think this would be a valid and interesting uh, point to bring up with Tim Cook. If Bing Bing would be a better search engine, but despite that, Google outbid for that uh, position and therefore they're being picked as a default, despite everyone agreeing and everyone knowing that Bing is way better, more privacy-focused, but Apple only made the decision because Google pays them more. Because yeah. then it's literally selling your customers. Hmm. Then it's more hypocrisy. Yeah, but I was just laughing because you felt it sounded like you wanted to bring this up personally with Tim Cook. <laughs> uh, I, I would if if they would make the wrong decisions. But now I don't have to, so that's yeah, that's, that's, that's good for good. Tim. S- saves you five minutes. Yeah. How do we segue into into whatever we're talking about oh, next? Um, you mentioned Twitter, Zach. Do you want to talk a bit about Twitter? I remember mentioning Twitter like half an hour ago, but sure. Um, Actually, I don't have anything to... Well, I probably will have something to say, but I don't know what this topic is related to. I just know that there's a Twitter topic in our show notes. Yes. Do you like the name of it? Shouting Void. It sounds like me when I talk on this podcast and no one listens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, Kai, you made this analogy. Do you want to explain what Shouting Void means? And I completely agree with this and I am having... Like, I really try to tweet more lately. It's not going well at all. Uh, So, yeah, I think one of the reasons is this thing that Kai is going to explain. (laughs) Thank you, Marlon. (laughs) Thank you, Marlon. Yeah, so... I'm I'm kind of going always through those waves, right? I'm I'm saying I want to stay away from from uh, social media, especially Twitter. Uh, moving to Mastodon, then Mastodon is pretty empty, so I'm like, uh, it doesn't really make sense to to post anything there. Then I hear another episode of Core Intuition. I'm like, oh, I should give Microblock another another shot. And uh, then I kind of come full circle after some time back to Twitter, but I always feel weird about uh, writing tweets. So I was thinking, why do I feel so weird about sending tweets or in general, those kind of microblogging type 
services. And I feel like, so I was telling Marlin, it always feels like I have an idea, I open my window and just shout it out the window. I, I feel really strange about that. I feel way, it feels way more natural that if I think of something like, I don't know, uh, the, the 11th uh, cloud hosting service, um, I open iMessage and send a message to you. Yeah. Or to so, Zach yeah. or to, to anyone else I know that might, might care or at least they're friendly enough to pretend to care. But putting it on Twitter just feels like shouting it out of the window and hoping someone picks it up. And then sometimes no one responds. I'm like, well, that was weird. Now I feel kind of yeah, like, uh, am I going to go back and delete this? Like, does no one care about this? What should I do? Should I never write again? <sighs> yeah. It's this is interesting. Yeah. And I think like the thing that Kai touched on, like sometimes you just send a message and said, and I agree. Like sometimes I can go to Twitter, I see something interesting, like a link, I copy that link and I paste it in a message to Kai. Instead of like retweeting it like any normal person would do, or just sending it as a direct message on Twitter. Like or like a like a direct tweet. And I never do those things. I'm just like, well, realistically, who is who is gonna care that I like this or who's gonna care about this particular thing? And like I say, it's just like I have an opinion. I'm going to shout it out of the window. Like, it just feels weird because, uh, yeah, like now when I'm talking to you, Zach, I'm happy to express myself. But I, like, when I talk to you two, I feel like I always have, I know who I'm talking to. I know how I should, like, express something. Whilst Twitter have to be quite generic for people to find an interest in it, for it to be, like, applicable to people. Yeah, yeah but it's also, right, I feel like you usually change the way you talk depending on who the receiver of your message is. Mm. So if I'm, if I talk to you about a technical thing, like you as in Zach, I probably explain it to you very differently than I would do it to a person I just met on the train, right? It's like the, the receiver is very important in almost anything you're saying. And Good communication happens when you understand who your message is for and how to package it for that receiver. And I feel like on Twitter, it's really difficult to do that because you have like a lot of different people and it feels kind of difficult to even, even, even to technical people. If, if I talk to, to you, Zach, and a person that is uh, a backend developer, even that would probably warrant different phrasing of the same same yeah, idea. Or just focus on different things, right? If I would, if I wouldn't want to talk about the new uh, MacBook to someone, I would be very like I would be very specific and talk about like certain feature. If I like talk to talk to you two, uh, whilst if I would talk to someone who is like maybe a Windows user or like someone who is a backend developer, like I would try to sell this product in a different way and I would focus on different things. And if I would talk to a person who is less technical, I would probably express like the lightness and those type of things. And I think, yeah, like it's it's hard to like know what voice to use yeah this is this is interesting this is uh, this is not also not what i expected uh this, <laughs> this topic to be about so it's uh it's definitely interesting um i would challenge some of what you've said so that would be good um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah because we're, we're, we're really lost right now and mm -hmm. we, we don't really know like in the end like i feel like I, I, I'm, I'm starting to write things i'm like oh this is nice i found those new shoes i like that are quite like fun and because they're they're sort of like special they're made using like a renewable material and i'm like who's gonna care about this why but would i tweet about shoes like, but i also feel like it is is getting more difficult i looked at my own uh twitter timeline and if i go all the way back mm, <laughs> 
It, it sounds like uh, life was simpler back then. <laughs> I was I was kind of living in a place that I was born in, in in the city that I lived for the last eight or ten years or something like that. And it was was very clear. It was kind of almost clicky on Twitter. Everyone I interacted with a lot, they were all kind of uh, living in a similar area, or at least in a similar country or in the same country. Um, but I feel like the, then I moved multiple times to multiple countries and picked up some followers along the way. And that makes it really difficult because now I might talk about, like, I, I had a tweet about a BC election, but that is irrelevant f to the majority of of people that follow me on Twitter. But it's something I care about. Yeah. But it, it feels weird to flood uh, the majority of people that, that do follow me with a message that's completely irrelevant to them. Yeah. And I think this is something I even felt for broader things like Cocoa Heads, for example. I felt like I, I, when I was organizing Cocoa Heads, I wanted to announce it and write to it, about it on Twitter. But then it's like, it is like it's broad because it's like a tech thing, but in the same time, it's only going to be relevant to people who live in the city where Coco Heads is happening, and like the rest of the people will just feel like this is spam to them. Like I didn't sign up for this email list. It's like I just feel like um, certain things just don't feel relevant to everyone. And if I want to write things that are relevant, I feel like I have to write very generic things, and then I'm going to end up writing like this is what I think about the new iPad. But that's something everyone's writing about, and no one really cares about what I think because there are people who do reviews that are better than what, what I'm saying on Twitter. And then I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should just write something like more casual, like what I'm doing in my everyday life. And I'm like, I found this cafe I like, and I'm like, this is very specific again. So I'm just going back and forth. Like, maybe I should go broader. Maybe I should go narrower. And like, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't sound good. But anymore. then you also have the problem anytime you have a topic that might require more insight. Like, people always say Twitter is a horrible platform to discuss. So then it's even you, the, the kind of spectrum of things that make sense on Twitter is even something it can't be really encouraging a discussion like there were some d debates about whether birthright makes sense like that you get citizenship when you're born in a country um whether that makes sense to to keep or if that's an outdated uh way of of uh, assigning citizenship and it's like well engaging in that discussion on twitter is probably also wrong because that doesn't really feel like a place that fits in twitter so i feel like i i don't know for me I feel almost every. I, I maybe I'm too self conscious or too conscious of people, other people's uh, uh, information I'm, overload yeah. and time. It just feels like I don't find a lot of things that are that f to me feel like they they they're relevant and I should put on Twitter. Yeah, like the majority of tweets I write, I never tweet, which is frustrating. It's a waste of my time and it's. I, I still take it away because I feel like I removed that tweet because I feel like it's going to be more of a waste of time for other people. But in the end, then I read other people's tweets and they are no offense to people on Twitter, but they are like, can be quite specific and I still enjoy them. <sighs> but yeah, I don't know. And I don't know why this is a problem in the first uh, place. So, so you still enjoy, you still enjoy those other people's tweets though, right? Like, why do you follow other people? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like, this <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like, like, why am I even bought? Like, why do I care about this in the first place? Why do I even want to write on Twitter? Why do I, like, feel like? So, I, that's a good question. The why yeah. do you want to write on Twitter? But yeah. I think that, like, assuming you want to write on Twitter, just just for the sake of this, assuming you do want to write on Twitter, you enjoy what other people have to say when they write on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, but somehow they. And I think it's the exact same thing. People follow you because they're interested in you 
somewhat because of your content and somewhat because they're just interested in you. And I don't think people mind as much as you're making it out that they would mind. So we, we already have a podcast, so we're, we're super obnoxious people anyway, and people probably already hate us. But hey, there are some people who stick around for the thoughts and opinions. And really, it's just that's what Twitter is as well. And you're following people for that same reason, and they're following you for the same reason. So uh, I wonder if you are worrying about it a little bit too much. But that's the thing, right? So for a podcast, a podcast removes one major thing, and that's the one where... It's it's not just me shouting it into a void. I I don't really, fo- I mean, this might sound weird, but I, the podcast focus for me it's more we would want to talk, we talk to each other anyway, so let's try to record and make it a, yeah. a podcast. True. And I think yeah. I, I very seldom enjoy podcasts where it's just one person talking because I think I can listen to podcasts where the topic is. No offense, but it's quite like the topic can be boring at times, but just uh, hearing the dynamic of the people and just listening to that conversation can be very engaging and very interesting and funny. Like I listen to a lot of podcasts that's not really having a specific topic and I still enjoy it. So I think there are other things that you get out of it, even if you like don't enjoy the exact thing they're talking about. And I mean, I might sound like a nut job, but uh, I also... You always do. (laughs) Uh, I I thought maybe this week I will try whenever I have the urge to send uh, anyone an iMessage. I mean, unless it's super personal, of course. (laughs) But whenever I have the urge to send someone an iMessage, I will send it as a tweet instead. So, like, if when I saw that ARC has a 50% off, I kind of thought, hey, Zach should really consider to potentially use ARC instead of Backblaze, or uh, in addition to Backblaze. So I wrote it as a tweet, but I kind of had Zach in mind while writing that. Um, so just add tweet, uh, add Zach all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to have, like, a person in mind just to make it seem like a less shouting out of the window type of thing for myself. But it, I, I don't know. I think I just lost the ability to 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 write tweets somehow. But this leads this leads me into sort of the next point that I was going to make is that you shouldn't be writing your tweets for one person. So one of the things you mentioned earlier was that you kind of think, oh, if, if a tweet doesn't get any interaction or any engagement or whatever it might be, um, was it interesting? Did people care? But I would argue that one tweet by itself or even a handful of tweets by themselves, it doesn't matter. Like your feed should be like people are following you because they're interested in you. Your feed should be the stuff you're interested in. Uh, For example, this morning, I tweeted a bunch of stuff about diabetes. Now, I really I have like three diabetes followers, like no one is there on Twitter following me for the diabetes stuff. But I only follow you for the diabetes stuff. (laughs) Now four, um, <laughs> but that but that's why I, I tweeted about it because it's interesting to me and it's also something that I think other people should be aware of. Now, if somebody is annoyed by that, then they're perfectly entitled to go and unfollow me. Um, and so you made it sound like oh, you sort of I don't know, maybe like a little bit worried of if someone's following you, like you want to give them the content that they're there for. But I think you create that content and then they should decide whether they want to stick around or not. It's not like you're doing like tweeting about ARC. It's not like you're doing a complete 180 and you've never tweeted about anything related to computers before ever. You know, you didn't bait and switch your followers. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I also think that sort of thinking about um, when you're when you're posting a tweet versus when you're you're sending a message to somebody, if you only have one person in mind or, or a couple of people in mind, then that's probably a good use for an iMessage. Um, but Twitter is is well. Thanks a, for a encouraging pla- <laughs> my Twitter use. 
but Twitter is a better platform for that sort of like shouting to everyone if you think that it's something that people generally would be interested in. And again, like not exclusively because ultimately your feed should be about things that interest you. But if you think that something interests you and is uh, and is going to be relevant to other people who follow you, whether or not they're interested enough to, you know, retweet it or, or reply to your tweet, uh, I think it can still be still be interesting. And I think also from some of the people I follow, like some of the most interesting uh, things or, or discussion points, if I meet somebody in person, can be can be from tweets that they've uh, put out that aren't necessarily related to tech or anything that I would otherwise be interested in. It's like, oh, you cycle, like, tell me a bit more about that type thing. Like, oh, okay, I, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to find that tweet particularly interesting if I'm scrolling through it through my feed on a Sunday morning. But if I meet that person face to face, then it's something that is, that I know about them that is a little bit more interesting and gives a little bit more depth to the conversation than just, oh, what did you think of the WWDC keynote? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it can it can in a way be an interesting way to get to know somebody slightly more than you would you would otherwise. But so how do you sometimes walk through your life and you're like, now I write a tweet about something I just observed. <laughs> like, how does that happen? How is your instinct like, oh, this is something I should shout now at people on the internet? Like, yeah, I don't. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> how does that like, what is the situation? How does your brain work? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's a good question. And um, you're potentially asking the right person for it. Um, it's generally if I see or hear something or think about something that I think would be interested, interesting to a group of people. So there is often a distinction, and I don't know, I obviously I'm doing it subconsciously, between deciding that something is Twitter-worthy and something is iMessage-worthy. So, for example, uh, we throughout the week fling bits of information and links back and forth to each other um, in, the, in the pod chat that we've got going uh, related to like something that I, I think you might find interesting, something you think I might find interesting. And, you know, we just sort of go back and forth like that. And it's a little bit like that with Twitter, but just, I guess there's some kind of process going on in my mind. Like, oh, is that relevant to send to just Kai and Marlon? Or is it something I want to share with another friend? Or is it something that I should share on Twitter to, you know, a few hundred people? Do you think if you would have a person next to you that this, whatever you have in your mind is relevant to, do you think that would decrease your chances of then also tweeting it? Yes. So, I, I was getting there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am way more active on Twitter when I'm less uh, socially interactive in person, if that makes sense. So, let's um, say you so- watch a, I don't know, dragons or some other unicorn uh, yep. sports team playing sports. Um, sports, and- sports, sports, sports. And you're watching that with friends. Would you still send tweets while you're doing that? Sometimes, but maybe more pre or post game. Uh, never okay. during the. So, like, if I if I'm out with friends watching the Dragons game, then I'm probably not going to check Twitter at halftime and throw my two cents in, unless something you know really interesting happened that I and I wanted to see other people's reactions who weren't uh, like maybe like we've already discussed it, you know, we're sitting at a table or whatever on a lounge or whatever. Uh, we've had that discussion and then, oh, like, let's see what the internet thinks, but that would have to be about something probably more exceptional than, than normal. Um, and you do have followers that care about, uh, like leak, rugby leak. I, do, like, yeah. I, I speak like a professional. I call it a leak <laughs> because nice. I know my stuff. Th- there are followers who care about, le- again, not as much as tech, like none of my sport tweets are, 
you know, generate much discussion at all. Like usually it's, um, it'd be very rare for, for much discussion to be created um, from a follower on a sport tweet. It would generally be more because of a use of a hashtag. Um, people tend to go through those and I will get responses from people I don't know there. So it's, it's not like I'm tweeting that with somebody specific in mind, like hoping that, oh, person X, Y, or Z is going to read uh, this particular tweet. Uh, it's more just, well, if I have something that's particularly interesting to say or whatever, then I will. But um, but yeah, generally, if you do have, I, I don't know, if I'm with like another person, then it's it's easier to just talk to them. And I think you're both lucky. You've you know generally got each other uh, fairly often, like you you know next mm. to each other or whatever. Like like right now, you can bounce ideas off each other and stuff. And it's mm. like, but if you're not in that situation, like I notice at uni, I tweet way more than when I'm at work because at uni, look honestly. If I am talking to people, at, I've told you, if I am talking to people at uni, it's generally because I have to. A lot of the people that you are forced to interact with don't make things very easy for you. Um, so, <laughs> I will often find myself, like, not particularly, yeah, just, I don't know, on Twitter a little bit more than I probably should be at uni. Um, whereas at work, I can have discussions with people about relevant things that we're both interested in or whatever and sort of get those thoughts off my chest then and there if that makes sense um so yeah it is definitely interesting and do you then check a tweet like do you care about like do you look how did this tweet go did i get any likes did i get any retweets did i get any answers or are you more all right i got this off my chest i'm happy now and if someone answers it i check if there's something i can reply to that or are you more I think this tweet will do really well. I'm never tweeting with the idea to go like to to do something viral. Like it's more just if it's interesting, I'll tweet it. And some tweets do do better. I think I used to be better. I say I'm not particularly great at not checking at the moment. Whereas I used to be better when Tweetbot had its own stats view. Yeah. Um. If you if you recall, and yeah, that yeah. was great. And I I would go in like probably once a day and just scroll through. And I, I wouldn't have like notifications on for likes and things like that. I. I do have them on for mentions and DMs at the moment. Um, so, like, I'll see those and respond to those um, reasonably quickly. But um, but for things like likes and retweets and all that, I never, like, didn't have the notifications on, but I would go through the, the Twitter list thing probably once a day and just see which tweets did well and all of that. But now, because that doesn't exist, uh, I originally started with the whole, like, oh, I'm just not going to check and not going to care how tweets do. But now I'm kind of in the habit of checking the Twitter website a few times a day and i think that my desire to check that more than i would otherwise have checked the the view in tweetbot is down to a couple of things uh i think the first is that it's very easy to if you have a lot of things that you've missed on the twitter web um like notifications tab it's very easy to miss things so previously in tweetbot it was just a list everything was the same size nothing drew your attention more and you could just kind of calmly scroll through it until you saw everything Whereas with the Twitter website, it's very easy to miss things because it groups things, it bunches things up. It'll be like yada, yada, and nine others did this. And whereas Tweetbot would have it sort of one by one. Um, so it sort of incentivizes you to check more so that things are, uh, I guess, clearer when you do check. Because if you've only got like two notifications, it's not going to bunch those up and try and combine them. But then there's also the whole gamification of well there's a, a number when you log in and check the notifications tab which twitter sorry which tweetbot never used to have it used to just i don't know whether there's going to be one new thing here or 50 or whatever whereas 
with the Twitter one, there's always a number associated with it. And I think there's probably something that like, you know, my little animal brain likes about seeing a number on Twitter.com. And I really don't like that I'm in that habit of going to the Twitter website probably like three times a day, which is, you know, three times as often as I would have been checking the Tweetbot activity tab. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of, I think it's nice to know if people are engaging with things, but it's not super important. But for some reason, well, we humans, we are, we are weak minded creatures. Uh, we do like that, that kind of checking that engagement and those kind of things. Uh, and it is a lot, a uh, lot more difficult to avoid that when using the Twitter website itself instead of instead of Tweetbot. Okay, because I feel like on Instagram it's a lot easier for me. I just see something nice, I take a picture of it, I put it on Instagram. It's like I, I, it's like I, I saw something nice. I want to share it with people. I feel like that is to me a lot more obvious and and clear because I want to share. Like I mean, we're living in a in a nice city there are a lot of nice views and vantage points i'm i feel like this is something that enriches people's lives to see some like uh different different views different pictures of places in the world and i feel like that is a clear ad for everyone everyone there's no there's no no one will be offended by a picture of a mountain like that if you are there do you have other issues um, and that's not really something I, I need to deal with at that point. But I feel like in tweets, it's... it's that's disrespectful, not caring for people who don't like mountains. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to draw the line somewhere. Uh, not liking mountains is my line. Um, so I feel like that, that, for some reason, that to me makes sense. And I still don't care about if people like it or reply. I, I'm, in general, her- horrible at, at those kind of things. If there are... I saw someone sending me a message on on Instagram, uh, I think, six months ago. I didn't even uh, use the Instagram messaging feature, so I didn't know there was a way of talking to people. Why would people want to talk to each other on Instagram (laughs) in the first place? Anyway. (laughs) It's a social media platform. People are there to talk. (laughs) I I know we've spoken about this before, um, sort of off the podcast, but another thing to to keep in mind when uh, when tweeting is the people who follow you and it's like sometimes you know after getting a, a particularly high profile follower you might be a little bit more reluctant to tweet for the next few days or something and you know you think oh is this person is this person paying attention are they going to unfollow me pretty quickly if i tweet something stupid the day after they followed me and um i think that was another one that took a while for me to get over like the first time you get a couple of high profile followers or whatever it's like oh yeah, I've really got to watch watch what I'm tweeting now. And then like within a few days that that feeling passes and I'm back to tweeting the the regular crap that I do. But um I think I'm now over that. Like I, I feel like I'm I'm super conscious of of I don't know. Uh doesn't really matter who, right? For me, anyone that decided to follow me kind of deserves my uh thought about whether I, I add things to their timeline that are interesting or relevant. And if they're not interesting enough, not unique enough or not... um... Yeah, but at the same time, you can see it the other way around. Like they actually spend time looking for your Twitter account and then following you. And then I think they expect to get something. But then if you're allowed to tweet in like three months, that might be a disappointment in a different way. Yeah, I don't know, but I feel like if it's if it's a topic that's already been discussed a lot, I feel like do I really need to be the twelfth 
or 1200 voice voicing the same thing for like it's it's already been covered most people that would follow me for that topic already probably have someone else they follow that that already sent like 12 tweets about the topic and kind of covered my main points anyway so i, I also feel like this kind of um originality of tweets where I feel like if I see someone else talking about it, I feel like, all right, that has been covered. I don't have to talk about it. But maybe that's a side effect of being behind on your Twitter feed constantly. And yeah, if you were, you know, on scrolling through Twitter in real time as something was happening, then maybe it is a little bit more relevant to post whatever, you know, two cents you have about that. Topic. Or maybe you shouldn't read Twitter so you don't get a biased opinion. And stuff yeah, to to I, I consider <laughs> that. I consider it to, to be more... Um, Right only. So I'm, I'm at the moment, I'm cross posting between Twitter and Mastodon. And initially, I only activated cross posting from Twitter to Mastodon, uh, mostly to see if anything happens on that side. But I considered, and of course, um, Twitter clients are way nicer, not the official one, but like Tweetbot is way nicer than, um, than the Mastodon clients are. Um, but I considered to potentially switch that around to, to, to send messages on Mastodon and cross-post them to Twitter and then not actually read stuff unless I get a notification about it to kind of avoid the trying to read up to see whether whatever I have to say has already been covered. But maybe it's also an unreasonably high bar to say I have to be the only person that came up with this uh, clever idea and if anyone else thought about it, I guess it's covered and I don't need to talk about it. Maybe there is also value in just adding another voice to 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 an idea or course i don't know and i feel like i don't know same thing on the on a podcast right on a podcast whenever i say something i can give a lot more background to that uh sometimes too much um especially while editing i notice sometimes i'm i'm like let me talk about a vacuum cleaner here's the historic background of the company that made it um what a crazy example to bring yeah, up everyone know, thought yeah. that was perfect length <laughs> um <laughs> so what you're saying is you want a, a twitter that you can post ten thousand characters to that's the thing right like, I, like a blog i don't I, I don't want that i don't want to n- need to write that much but i feel like for me to really express what i want to express and give reasons why i the thing I'm saying is valuable and important, I would need to write so many characters, but I don't want to write that many characters because it's, first of all, way too much work. I wouldn't expect anyone to read that. So, And then I just feel like, all right, if I can't express and reason for why I think what I'm saying makes sense, then you're kind of defaulting in going super superficial things only because they're easy to express. You don't actually need to reason for it. You don't have to convince anyone. I'm just saying, cool, the new MacBook is thinner. It's like, I, 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 but I feel like having anything that's a bit of a deeper criticism of society, political occurrences, or those kind of things, uh, Twitter is just a really difficult medium for me to express myself in. And I don't know, maybe it's, maybe my English isn't good enough to express myself uh, deeply in 280 characters. Maybe, maybe the English language is lacking this and you need something like German. Well, 280 characters <laughs> is a single word, so I don't think we get a f- get very far with that. Uh, I guess I guess uh, Chinese would maybe help because you get a lot more characters, a lot more words into that. But I also don't want to just learn Chinese. <laughs> but I also don't want to write like a novel for every every point, right? That's why I like the medium of a podcast or even even YouTube, like a vlog or something like that, because it's a lot easier to explain your opinion. And I feel like there's a lot more. I feel like podcasts have a lot more unique opinions coming across and that is just 
to me, that's very obvious because that medium just allows us, like now we talked about um, Twitter shouting void was like three keywords. Um, and we've been talking about that for half an hour. Yeah, and it wasn't even what Zach thought it would be. Like if you would have written <laughs> Twitter shouting void, everyone, no one would have understood how, how deep of a topic this is. <laughs> and I mean, maybe it's an incredibly boring topic, but I feel like the the reasoning behind those things matter a lot. And I feel like Twitter is just a really awkward length of a format, but it's also just written words are difficult to, to get into discussions because discussions need kind of real-time response and kind of, kind of a back and forth sometimes because like I, I might express something and you might misunderstand what I'm saying. And on a podcast, you would say, wait, you, you want to, you want to burn puppies? <laughs> and then I would iterate, no, I obviously don't want to burn puppies. But on, on Twitter, someone might read it and, and misinterpret it. And then that's what, they think of those words forever because there is more of a hurdle to go and say reply and ask a follow-up question than it is on a podcast or on a on on any kind of longer form media but but not only that i guess there's more to communicating than just the words you're saying as well and uh i think it's it is easiest to communicate face to face and understand what the other person means but uh, what a podcast has that uh, that text only doesn't have is emotion. You can generally yeah. tell uh, uh, someone's emotion from their voice and how they're talking, you know, uh, they're talking fast, slow, their pitch, things like that. And you just sort of pick up on those subtle cues. So if I am saying something that's slightly sarcastic, slightly funny, uh, or no, I'm never funny. I'm, who am I kidding? Um, <laughs> just slightly sarcastic. <laughs> um, you're You're more likely to pick up on that in this podcast because I might say it you know, with a little bit of cheek in the voice or something like that, instead of if I just yeah. typed those words on Twitter. And I, I am a little bit sarcastic and my, my humor is often dry and, and sarcastic, but I try, I'm not great at it, but I try and refrain from some of those kind of tweets because they don't come across, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a text only medium. Um, I know in iMessage, if I'm, I will only make those kind of jokes to people I think will understand them, maybe with the appropriate emoji. Like somebody I've just met doesn't make sense for me to, to send a sarcastic text message because they're not going to pick up on the fact that it's sarcastic, yeah, even yeah, if I add yeah, a, a stupid emoji or something to it. Um, but you know, you might understand if I, if I say, ha, you can't get real work done on an iPad, you know, you, you know, the context and sort of, yeah, how I'm saying that otherwise. Yeah, but. and I mean we're probably getting into that topic another time. With like that, that's kind of the problem with remote work, right? When you're when you're only communicating on Slack, it's often that you're a lot more conscious and you read every sentence four times to make sure. Wait, this is not be. This is hard to be interpreted as as I don't know offending or something, or or like you're a lot more conscious of how you're expressing yourself. Um, just because of the medium, it's hard to to read those emotions. It's hard to get a quick follow up question. Wait, do you mean that in a in a uh, offensive way, or is this yeah. a joke? Yeah, because you can't. See, it goes both ways. You can't see your audience's reaction to what you're saying exactly. as well on Twitter. Yeah. Um, you might be sh- shocked and horrified by something I've said, but I'm not going to know that that was your reaction. Whereas if I'm talking to you face to face, I might see your face drop 
and and you, you would know I can instantly I can, clarify what you mean. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh wait, no, wait, wait. sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's not what I meant to say. Exactly. And so it is a lot easier to communicate. And I already have that problem if I send a message uh, to one person, but I feel like uh, on on Twitter that's just amplified because you have so many more people, so many more cultural backgrounds that you have to consider. I feel like this segment was supposed to help me in tweeting more, but I feel like this has done the complete opposite. It's like, you have to also consider this and this and this, and <laughs> don't just write things that are on your mind and that are interesting for you. It has to be more more open to everyone. And yeah, now it made it harder. So I think I never tweet again. <laughs> the, the moral of the story is to never tweet. If, if you're <laughs> ever in doubt, never send the tweet. It's just always a bad idea. Somebody's always going to dig it up years later and you're going to regret it. So I, I thought this would help Mon and me to tweet more, but instead we convinced Zach to, to drop Twitter. <laughs> well, so, so that was sort of the last thing that I wanted to talk about uh, related to this topic, actually, uh, because you, you asked how I find something that I want to tweet and how I think about that. And, you know, I, I guess kind of the thought process. And, and while I can't describe that because it's something that sort of happens instinctively, I did want to talk about taking breaks from Twitter and how that sort of affects how I'm thinking about tweeting, if that makes sense. So, because, mm-hmm. um, and I've spoken about it, I'm pretty sure both times on this podcast, but since we've, since we've been doing this, this show all 23 weeks of it now, I think, uh, I've taken a couple of, um, longer, like longer being like, I think 10, one was seven, one was 10 days, uh, breaks from Twitter. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is interesting how it takes it definitely takes a few days to adjust where for the first few days I'll find myself thinking, Oh, I should really tweet that. Oh, wait, I can't tweet that. I'm on a, I'm on a Twitter break. And then it's sort of somewhere between about the third and fifth day. I find that I am, I guess, familiar enough with the thought that I'm not going to be tweeting. And then you start, or I, I find that I start, uh, not thinking in that context of, oh, I should tweet this. Oh, oh, that would be interesting for Twitter. Oh, I wonder what somebody on Twitter has said about that. And it's actually very, I, I find after that point, it's very easy to not want to go back and um, not not feel like you're missing anything or not feel like you should be tweeting. Uh, but it just is interesting how you think about things in that period of not using Twitter and sort of making that decision to not tweet about something. Um, then it's almost it's almost in a way freeing. Um, like I had a, I had a friend recently who tried a, a social media break with the exception of Twitter for some reason, but uh, tried a okay. social media break over the uni exam period. And sort of at the start of, of her break, I explained that, that thought thing of, you know, it takes a few days, but eventually you get to the point where it's like, ah, oh, who cares what other people think? Who cares if I was going to post that about something or, you know, who cares what other people are doing on, on whatever social media. And then you get to the point where it doesn't matter anymore. And then ultimately it comes down to, and I think you start to realize that none of it matters. Whether you tweet or not, it doesn't matter. And it's... But it's a thing, right? So I, I would say I'm definitely probably happier when I just ignore nor Twitter. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. really using a lot of other social media in general. Yeah. It's not like I'm 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 not a heavy Facebook user. I I don't even remember the last time I logged into Facebook or I mean Instagram, but not really to look at a lot. I I probably follow ten people and they upload a picture every now and then. Um, and that's how how the network how the social media yep. network works. Um, n- never using stories or any of the more more 
involved types of things. I just look at some pictures of, of landscapes and puppies and, and then I close it again. Um, but I feel like Twitter is also a important tool. Um, and that's why I'm, I always feel conflicted. If, if I would just go by what I want to do in my life, I would just never use Twitter again and move on. But Twitter is an incredibly powerful tool for, um, getting some, I mean, wh where else do you have an audience of hundreds of people that you can talk to that seem to be at least interested enough in what you're doing to, to, that they decide to follow you? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So if, if you work on, I don't know, you have a new site project, mentioning it on Twitter yeah. at least is a starting point, But right? That's you the thing. Do you really want to use it as your, um, Ah, oh, what did Twitter call it? Brand engagement platform. Yeah, brand engagement <laughs> yeah. platform. Yeah, that's that's it. Like, I don't want to spam people about all the new things I'm doing, all the side projects I'm doing, because it's like, uh, people probably don't only want to see that. They don't want to have like a sales pitch. So for me, I, I'm seeing it more as I, like, that's kind of where, where I'm at the moment is most tweets that I'm writing Or just to keep people entertained to then also get some value out of it at some point. That sounds really strange <laughs> and calculated. It sounds really scammy. Yeah. yeah, but it, it, it is like, I, I do see the value of Twitter. I know yeah, it's like TV. Just show them some good TV first and then just put ads in between, right? Yeah, but it is kind of like that, right? I, I know for me personally, I'm not happier by using Twitter. If anything, I, I lose some of my time in my life and some of my happiness in my life yep. to use Twitter. But in return, I do get some people that, that see things I'm doing. Yeah, so I agree that Twitter is a social network. So that's sort of where I was getting at, that during the breaks, it, it does free you up a little bit more and you, you sort of have that less cognitive burden of thinking about something that you might want to say that's snarky on social media constantly. But also Twitter is, at least in my experience, the only social network that I feel like I've gotten tremendous value from as well. And it's really hard to know, well, does that mean, is it a net positive or a net negative? I don't know. I think unequivocally, I could say that every other social network was a net uh, negative on my life. And that's why I don't use any of them. Um, I, I just, it just, they never worked out for me, but Twitter Some good things do come from Twitter. There are really cool people on Twitter. I've met some, you know, cool people there, sort of had some exciting opportunities from things that have come up on Twitter. And that makes it hard to say, oh, well, like, yes, I am happier for the, the period of time where I might not be engaged on Twitter. But then it's also a case of, well, what opportunities might I not know about or, or you know, yeah. not be able to... Uh, learn about because I'm not using Twitter. Yeah, it's almost because you have been involved every day. Even if it's something that brings you happiness every day, it could bring you something. It could benefit you in the long term. For example, you could uh, find out about project that's actually like something that you can be involved in because you contacted these people on Twitter. Or right. you could also like upload something that you're working on, and in the end, that's going to benefit you. So it's like uh, you you still feel after a while that like. That's what I feel after a while that I haven't been engaged in, in this whole community. And in the end, I'm sort of like uh, worried of like falling out of that community because I'm not as engaged as other people. So I think I like, yeah, it, it is, there is a community and I know there are bad things on Twitter, but there are also a lot of people who I really like, uh, like uh, <laughs> chatting with in, in real life. And I don't want to lose touch with these people, but if I'm not going to tweet anymore, I might lose that connection. Or just like lose that integration, I guess. And I mean, I'm I'm not saying everything on Twitter is bad. Bad. I just think for me, the net is probably negative. It's it's always fun to see, like, or positive to see that 
And I mean, down south, there are a lot of weird political things going on. And then seeing people that that I know or that I've met going to uh, demonstrations and kind of fighting for for something a more inclusive world, those kind of things are positive and inspiring and and probably positive. There's just also, and it might be part of the medium that like often discussion discussions or disagreements escalate a lot quicker and i feel like those those are tremendously more negative um and i i mean it's interesting right so twitter is kind of a a social group where the cost of entry is you considering and and curating what you want to say it's it's not it's not a group where you pay money but the cost of entry is is your consideration of of content and I guess that's that's sometimes difficult and seems to be more difficult for some people than others. Yep, definitely. Also, by the way, um if <laughs> I just looked at my uh, mute filters and your your liking of the dragons caused me to mute the word dragons. Mm-hmm. So if we're, there's ever a uh, dragon invasion that kills us <laughs> all uh and I die, it's your fault. Uh, but see, that's that's again like going back to the the do people care about what i have to say when i'm tweeting about football i do use a hashtag and all my dragons related tweets have a hashtag associated with them so I'd go as you know, far as to say most mature <laughs> mature adults can mute my football tweets if they're only there for the tech and i'm sure they could mute a few diabetes related keywords if they were only there for the tech yeah and i mean that's that's actually another good point i do like that with twitter that i mean initially i probably mostly followed tech people and it was mostly like a tech stream of information but it's also quite a nice way of then um i mean like over the last year or two i don't remember i wanted to kind of broaden my exposure to other opinions more so i started following people that are within other circles more like both on the political spectrum as well as uh, uh, more people out of other industries or, or other uh, underrepresented groups of people and twitter is a really good way of of then if you if you follow people you get they get the same, at least if you use something like Tweetbot, they get the same um, kind of prior- priority in your timeline as anyone else, right? Everyone's tweet just shows up. There's no no ranking or just because someone has uh, fewer followers doesn't mean that tweet doesn't show up. Well, it depends on which app you're using. That's right? what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Tweetbot, at least. Um, and that's a thing that I do appreciate a lot about Twitter, that it's quite easy that if you're willing to expand the horizon of people that you're, that you want to see in your life, you can quite easily do that. I'm sorry we didn't come up with a, a valid solution, but I think it is interesting to get a feel for where we're all at with, with, I guess, Twitter and social networks in general. Okay. <laughs> on to the stuff we like list thing that's, that's not a list and usually contains things. All right. Oh, okay. Zach, do you want to start? Sure. So, I, okay. So, my pick this week is a line of code. Um, I learned this week that you can increase the animation, like the speed of core animation on iOS by adding a line to your app delegates uh, did finish launching with options uh, method. And you can actually do that to any layer. Oh, okay. So, if you want to only uh, speed up one specific uh, layer, you can just set that layer speed. Yeah, it makes sense. Which is pretty useful for in specific circumstances. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anyway, then you can increase the speed of core animation. And so, I decided to give this a go with, uh, with running some UI tests on a project at work. And I was... I mean, if you use an app 
that has its layer speed turned up to something crazy, like 100, um, it feels... It's unusable, pretty much. Like, it just feels weird. All the, all the animations are oddly fast, and you're, at that point, better off turning off animations and whatever. But it was kind of cool. And so, I thought, oh, great. UI tests are going to run a whole lot faster with this <laughs> thing. So, I um, I, I did a little experiment. Um, I, I, you know... Uh, created a new branch and uh, added this this great line to um, on a, a test scheme and then ran the test. And, and let me guess, test took longer. Not longer, no. Uh, it shaved six minutes off a 31-minute uh Oh, that's, that's not bad. I mean, I mean, it's not bad, but it's not sort of... It's not sort of like going to dramatically affect the feedback loop that you're getting. Like if you're if you need to know if your build is passing or whatever, 25 versus 30 minutes is not a huge difference. Um, it's not, you know, 10 versus versus 30. Uh, you are going to see that kind of improvement if you do if you run the test in parallel. So that's mm-hmm. still my, my go-to tip for speeding up uh, UI tests. Um, but yeah, I guess it just goes to show you that a lot of the, the time spent uh, an UI test is all the the setup and teardown processes and installing the app onto the simulator of, of course... Uh, improving the speed of your app is not going to affect any of that. So, yeah, I just thought it was an interesting little pick. Um, but I'd also be interested if anyone uh, cares enough to try this on maybe one of their own projects uh, and let me know if if it speeds things up or if, as Kai expected, it slowed things down. Um, I, I think it could be interesting to know. I've done the test on on multiple, multiple CI platforms, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe a year or probably two years ago by now. Okay. And... At that point, it was actually slowing it down, um, and I wasn't why quite that? sure. Yeah, I was. I wasn't quite sure why that happened, but for some reason, all the all the tests actually took an extra four seconds. So it wasn't like a huge difference, but it definitely uh, did the opposite of what I expected. And I don't know if that was. I mean, that was would have been Xcode eight or nine, and I don't know. If, how the trying to find elements on screen stuff worked. Maybe just, I don't know, waited a specific time after an animation or something. Yeah, maybe it factors animation time into that. Yeah. So I I don't know why it took longer, but when I tried it, I was like, okay, this should save a few minutes. And it turned out to to add a few seconds instead. Yeah, so it's not a a pick because it's super cool or anything, but it's a pick because it's something that I found interesting and I think it might be interesting to some listeners and i'd also be interested if any of them wanted to try it out mm. themselves yeah i did it on on local tests uh relatively consistent since then and it's always been uh faster for my local tests i mean in general also if you can run in parallel that will save you way more time but uh yeah just on ci systems i i had oddly uh in inconsistent uh results with that interesting all right who wants to go next Marlon? I guess I can go. Um, so what I picked uh, is called Tower. So it's Tower 3, to be more specific. Uh, so this is a Git client. So uh, we're very programming-focused this time. Uh, so um, if you if you use Git um, as a way of... Um, like, I, I mean, uh, most people who work, work as developers tend to use Git. Uh, I'm sorry if you're not a developer and you're not that familiar with it. Should I explain what Git is? I think I think we're good. Okay. Um, all right. So yeah, this is a Git client. Um, it's a like a graphical user interface for Git. And what I really like with 
Um, like there, there are so many different ones, but I think Tower is actually really solid. I feel I have tested a lot of um, free uh, Git clients, and it feels like they always tend to be a little bit buggy, a little bit difficult to uh, like just use. It feels like often uh, things don't like certain things are not very obvious, or sometimes it just crashes. Some of them tend to be quite. Yeah, crash quite often. Uh, but I think Tower is something that's actually really being maintained and they keep on updating, uh, releasing new versions. I was on Tower 2 before and then I changed to 3. Uh, it did require a new license, but um, I, thought, I thought it was definitely worth it. Um, and Tower 3... Uh, or Okay, so Tower is basically... The reason why I like Tower is because it's a really nice interface. It's very... Um, not basic, but I guess uh, sleek. Like it's very easy to actually see all your branches and see the specific branch you're on and see all the history of the specific branch that you're on. And you can, it's also very neatly displaying who has been working on what. And this is quite common in uh, Git user interfaces, but I think found it to be very easy to follow. Um, and you can also very easily integrate uh, different uh like different projects and you can also have different folders for different projects, which I think is really nice. So if you have like, um, you're working on a specific project that has multiple repos, you can put that all in one Git folder or one, like one, uh, tower folder. Um, and yeah, there are a lot of really nice things. I really, uh, just think it's very easy to use. It's very easy to create new branches from it. But, uh, one thing I think seems very exciting that I want to use more, uh, is that they have started in Git 3. In Git 3, they started adding a pull request visibility. So if you are working with other people and they're opening a pull request, you can actually see it directly in Git. You don't have to necessarily go to wherever, like GitHub or uh, source, uh, what's that one called? Bitbucket or something like that. Yeah, you can just look directly in um, in your Git client. And I think that's really cool. Like you can really like use it more like a... It's it's a bit more integrated in the rest of your system. You can really see what's outstanding, what you still have to approve, and what has been changing, and all of that. So, and I think you can even go in and put comments in and approve it directly in the client. So, I think that's really neat, and I want to explore that a bit more. Um, yeah. So so far, I'm I'm a big fan. And if you're looking for a for a nice Git client, it's it, this one has been really good. At the moment, they have a Black Friday sale, which probably is not going to be the case once we release this. But I would like. Maybe like if you feel a bit reluctant to spend money, I think it's ninety nine dollar per year, um, ninety nine US. Let me just double check. Um, yeah, for the pro version, it's ninety nine dollar. The basic version is sixty nine dollar, and you can get an enterprise license as well for up to fifty users or for more than fifty users. But yeah, the ninety nine dollar sounds a bit pricey, but I would say uh, they do have a trial version, so I would definitely go and try it out before you test it. Um, See if but you like you, it. if you work by yourself, you don't really need the pro version. You're more than fine to just go with the basic one. I think pro only gets you like team management and um, you can get one bill for multiple users. I feel like that's probably an overkill if you're kind of working on yourself by yourself or even even if you work with multiple people, but uh, you're not a company that wants to buy tower for all their employees, even then just go with basic because yeah. you don't need the consolidated billing or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I was actually on pro because that was highlighted right now. I thought I was logged in, but no, I'm actually on the basic plan. And I think that's fine. That was something I bought by myself. And I think it's 
$69 is a bit more reasonable. The first time I bought Tower 2, they actually sent me a nice physical postcard, which I thought was a bit cute, like handwritten postcard. So it seems like a nice company overall. I looked into them a bit more. It seems to be a nice team uh, in, in Germany making this. And yeah, I appreciate that style. And they have some cool t-shirts. Hmm. And if you can think of any any uh, nation to make a good client, I think Germany is the one to pick. Feels like a very German product to work on. I feel like it's it's quite in the wheelhouse of of, the, of Germans to make a good client. But yeah, I would second that pick in general. That uh, Git Tower is a very very good uh, GUI Git client if that's your thing. Uh, I'm still on version two for various reasons that we will probably touch on in a future episode. Um, but overall, uh, it is it is very good if. Uh, you don't want to use the command line for doing Git stuff. Hmm. Yeah, and they also keep adding nice features. Like the yeah. they just added um, uh, image diffing. So if if you change an image, you can kind of see what it looked like before and after. Just it's quite nice. And, and honestly, it's a lot nicer than Source Tree if that's what you're using. I mean, if you're yeah. if you're a developer and you're in and out of a Git client, you know, many many times a day, do yourself a favor and buy one that is actually quite nice. And that's not crashing. Mm, that too. At least that's what it did when I before I started using Source Tree. I mean, it was a while ago. I'm not going to judge judge it now, but it tends to be quite crashy. Mm. Yeah. But in general, I mean, $39 sounds like... I mean, it is it is multiple tens of dollars. 39, but it, it's 69. It's just 39 now on the Black Friday sale. But even, yeah, 69 is still multiple tens of dollars. But if you make any money with software, you probably make... Ideally, you make more than 69, uh, ideally way more than 69 a year. Uh, and then I think in, it, in general, it's probably good to invest in good tools while working on, on, on software because uh, anything that can make your life better, easier, or more enjoyable in general is worth it. And if you can also be more productive as a result of that, you probably make more than that money back each year. All right, uh, my pick is i i had two other ones in in the show notes but uh considering that both of you pick very developer uh tech thingies i i kind of last second decided to change mine and pick a game again uh and this time i will pick uh kingdom rush vengeance and uh it's i think the fourth uh game in the series of kingdom rush so kingdom rush is basically a uh tower defense type of game uh, Zach, do you know what I mean by that? Um, like Clash of Clans, but I also don't know what that is. Okay, I don't know what that is. Man, I already oh, picked okay. Tower. <laughs> I thought you said you wouldn't pick something similar to it. Oh, that's, that's funny. You pick you pick Tower and I pick Tower Defense. <laughs> Boom. Um, so the idea is basically... Um, that there is a starting point and an end point. So uh, invaders, monsters, whatever uh, you want to call it, uh, go from a starting point and try to invade your end point. And you have to build a whole bunch of towers that have different features and abilities to prevent that from happening. So there are some towers that kind of have long-range uh, arrows and others that have kind of people that kind of like a, trying to block the path and those kind of things. And you're basically just... It's, it's kind of... Uh, strategy uh action type game where you try to figure out what is the best strategy to prevent this particular map the monsters to go from a to point b and this particular game i mean as i said there they've been around for a few years the the concept always stays very similar between the years 
But um, I think in this case, that's a really good idea because Kingdom Rush is just uh, very true to its roots. It's 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 a fun game. The art style is really nice. I believe it's hand drawn, uh, so it looks really nice. Animations are really nice. Um, it is a game where you pay uh, seven dollars and then. I mean, they do have some kind of coin things that you can buy, but uh, I never never even look at that. You definitely don't need that to, to win. You can just get better at the game. Um, so it's I, I just thought it's it's a really nice uh, new new game in the Kingdom Rush series, and I was really looking forward to it. And, and the music and all of the uh, voice acting is really good too. So if you have the chance, you should listen to play it while, uh, while you're able to have the sound out. Yeah, but it's it's definitely really nice, a lot of fun. It, it's kind of a good combination of of uh, strategy and focus, but also, I mean, sometimes you just set up your entire tower situation and you're just hoping that they will with, withstand uh, the, the wave of enemies. And so I, I kind of also like that as a uh, podcast listening companion. So while listening to a podcast, I kind of like to do something. Sometimes... Those are useful things like cleaning up, doing laundry, or something Important like that. Stuff. Yep. But sometimes I'm I'm done with all of those tasks, and then I enjoy to 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 like play something that uh, like like uh, Kingdom Rush while listening to a podcast. Um. But yeah, definitely, definitely a great game. Uh, uh, highly recommended. And I just looked at the App Store. It has a four point eight star uh, average on uh, over. 600 uh, ratings so uh, at least in the Canadian store so I also seem to not be alone with uh, liking the game so if, if gaming is your thing and strategy type games or tower, fo- uh, tower defense type games are your thing uh, should definitely have a look at Kingdom Rush Vengeance Cool. and if get client tower things are your thing you know where to go as well or if you want to make uh, coordination faster, then changing the layer speed to 100 is your thing. Man, we're giving so many good advice for people. Yeah, I think I'm actually going to download Kingdom Rush. I think I really enjoyed the previous ones. And this is a perfect use case for my iPad that's been laying and hasn't even been updated to iOS 12 yet. <gasps> so, got to start with that. It's because you use your iPad so much? Yeah, you know, I'm always busy using it. I can't pause to uh, update my iPad, right? Yeah. Where would all your productivity go during those 20 yeah. minutes when it's updating? That would be impossible. I know. Thanks. You, you, you're really feeling me. Hmm. On a completely unrelated note, just before we, we stop recording for today, I did want to mention uh, something about shortcuts that I think is the a perfect use case for a shortcut from a third-party app. Um, so I was out on a run this morning and needed – well. I wanted to know the air quality because it's been a bit dusty here the last few days and I was a little bit worried because I kind of felt like it might still not be too great. Um, and I was able to ask Siri on my watch, which was not connected to a phone. Um, so ask Siri through AirPods on my watch. What, uh, I think the phrase I associated with it was air quality and Siri was able to return the air quality, like very, very, very simple. Um, but this was made possible thanks to a third party app, which has this data available because in Sydney, at least the Apple weather app doesn't have air quality. I know that Siri can, um, can tell you air quality for other parts or other cities around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not a thing that it can do in Sydney. Um, but thanks to this third party app, I was able to sort of create the Siri that I wanted. Um, that's something that I do check from time to time. So it was useful enough to download this app and 
add it to Siri. Uh, and then when I needed it, when I needed it to work and I didn't have the option of opening the app on my phone because my phone wasn't with me, the shortcut came through and did its job and gave me the information I needed. So I did just want to point out that there are some valid use cases for shortcuts from a third party app. I don't think you mentioned what was the app called? Uh, it's called, I think it's just called air quality action or air matters. Sorry. Air matters. Oh, okay. So this is what they're specializing in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the, the whole purpose of the app. And I've used it on my iPhone for a while um, and was quite excited to see it got shortcuts a few months ago. Uh, and I just think that's sort of a really good example of what shortcuts can be useful for in that Siri is limited. Siri can't do as much as other assistants. Apple don't support a lot of things natively like Google do, um, but you can sort of create that Siri that you want. And if, you know, the air quality is an important uh, piece of information to you or if public transport times or football scores or whatever it might be, if they're important to you, then you are able to use third-party apps and the shortcuts that come with third-party apps to turn your version of Siri into the voice assistant that you want. And I think that's really cool. So I did just want to point that out before we before we stop recording today because I thought that was a, a really fun use of technology um, to make life slightly easier. Yeah, but it's it's again... That's always where I'm falling into too. It is again to fill a gap. It's not yes, yes. really doing something completely new. It's more filling a gap that Apple hasn't filled yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- your experience would probably be simpler and easier if if Apple would have uh, air quality index for Sydney. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, but now instead of whinging about it, I have the ability to the, yeah that's turn right. Siri into something that I want it to be. So. Was the air quality bad? It was good enough to keep running. No, it was actually, it was, it was fine. It was uh, still within very healthy range. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it wasn't an issue. Why, why is the air quality so bad? Uh, it's just been windy and then dusty. Fiery or just dust? Not really fiery. There hasn't been, there haven't been any fires, fortunately. Um, there were fires a few weeks ago, but, um, yeah, it was just, just very dusty. So nothing, nothing too major, but I did just want to make sure that I, should like that I sh- was okay to be running and that I shouldn't have yeah, sort of needed sense. to stop. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Do you usually stop in, in summer? Like when there's like bushfire season, do you usually then stop and not run during those? those yeah. Weeks? If there was, if there was smoke over Sydney or it's honestly, it's generally worse when there's back burning. So the sort of preseason burning yep. that they do to try and control um, the, the fires in summer uh, that can blanket Sydney in, pretty thick smoke and i definitely will not run uh when that is the case i don't want to risk you know the run sort of doing more harm than good for my body yeah that i always forget about that i'm like after the summer i'm like all right we're through bushfire season finally some clean air to breathe and then the (laughs) the uh preventive burning stuff Mm -hmm. starts and just makes it way worse and yep i mean over the last few few years at least the 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 winter burnings were worse than the summer fires. So. Definitely, yeah. So that's fun. That's a fun yeah. benefit you get from living in Sydney. Mm, yeah, it's always nice to wake up on a, on a Saturday morning and wonder if you can go for a run or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think that's what prompted me to download this app in the first place a few years ago. Hmm. Oh, it sounds like a very useful app, I hope. It is, yeah. Fun. It serves one purpose, but it does it really well. And it's a modern yeah. app that's updated quite frequently. So it is quite Do you good. know if it's Australia only? No, it's worldwide. Okay, um, because I would really see. like that here, so I might go ahead and download that too, because there are wildfires mm-hmm. in the summer. should definitely check it out. Like, I can see New York air quality, so I'm going to assume that it's like a global thing as well. Ah, yep, Canada is on the map. 
Cool. It's still there? Confirmed. Canada <laughs> on the map. Canada on the map, and there are pins indicating the air quality in and around Vancouver. So you're good. And it looks like your air quality is quite healthy today. 